Today's scripture comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is God's word. Don't attend church. Be the church. We've heard God's call to be the manifestation of his wisdom among the angelic realm and on earth. That the way we relate, the unity and the love that we have for one another manifests the wisdom of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a powerful way. Once again, I want to read Tim Chester's words. The Christian community demonstrates the effectiveness of the gospel. We are the living proof that the gospel is not an empty word, but a powerful word that takes men and women who are lovers of self and transforms them by grace through the Spirit into people who love God and others. We are the living proof that the death of Christ was not just a vain expression of God's love, but an effective death that achieved the salvation of a people who now love one another sincerely from a pure heart. We are the demonstration that the gospel is true and real and has an impact upon people's lives. And that impact is the wisdom of the church coming together. Last week, we looked at what was our first step in becoming that united church that Christ wants us to be, and that is greeting one another. That's where we begin relationships. It's the first step. But, of course, being united, it goes much beyond that. It's the first step into a journey of us coming closer and closer, becoming one in every sense of the word, loving each other sacrificially, considering one another more important than ourselves, this is something that is not humanly possible because of who we are. But with God, all things are possible. Let's pray. Our Father, you are here today. When we open this word, it's not uh, the word of a human being that we can judge and measure 
It's the very voice of God speaking to us today. I pray, Lord, that I will be faithful to this word, that your spirit will drive home the truth that you want to convey to us as a church, but to each one of us individually. What do you want to say to us about our part in the church, who we are, Lord? Make your spirit bring this passage alive, powerfully alive in our lives so that we become the church you want us to be. Amen. A generation ago, Coca-Cola produced a commercial where they had people singing, I'd like the world to sing in perfect harmony. And they, they panned onto a person and then they opened that, the screen to a couple people and they kept broadening it to more and more and more people from various cultures and nations and races and ethnic groups until you had this entire span of people from around the world singing as, as one with one voice around Coca-Cola. Now, the sentiment of that commercial is so powerful and so deep in our hearts that desire for unity around our world, for peace and for love to rule, that the new seekers took that commercial, tweaked some of the words, and made a hit song out of it. I'd like the world to sing in perfect harmony. I'd like to see the world for once standing all hand in hand. And that's truly what, what is in our hearts, not just a generation ago but it's come to us today. The biggest hit movie of the summer is Wonder Woman. And Wonder Woman, that's her desire. Her desire is peace for love to rule through this world. And she lives among the Amazons, but she's introduced to World War I and she's horrified by it. And she can't understand it because she believes everybody is good. Everybody is loving. And she draws the conclusion that the war can't be the result of what's going on in the hearts of people. It must be from that evil god, war god Ares. And so she joins the combat to do one thing, and that's to defeat Ares because she knows if she can dispense of Ares, there will be peace and love in this world. She eventually achieves her goal of killing Ares but the war does not stop. And she concludes, I used to want to save the world, to end the war, to bring peace to mankind, but then I glimpsed the darkness that lives within their light. I learned that inside every one of them, there will always be both. The choice each of us make, must make for themselves, something no hero will ever defeat. I've touched the darkness that lives in between the light seen the worst of this world and the best, seen the terrible things men do to each other in the name of hatred and the lengths they'll go for love. Now I know only love can save this world. She's capturing in this time of tremendous division in our world and even in our nation, that desire that's in our hearts, that there would be peace, there would be unity, there would be oneness, and she sees there is goodness, and there's goodness in people because we're made in the image of God. But there's darkness in each one of us as well. 
because there is a sin nature within us. And because of that struggle, because the sin nature seems to always win, we cannot have the unity that our hearts desire in this world. But the same is true of us as Christians. Even though we're born again and we're given a new nature in Jesus Christ, the sin nature is still there battling on us. We cannot be unified as the church apart from the work of God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see in this passage in Philippians this morning. In verses 1 and 2, we're going to look at what is the unity that God has called us to experience with each other. What does that mean? We've been talking about it in general terms. Specifically, how are we united? How are we to be united? But secondly, how can this come to be? How can we become this through God himself? So first, the unity of the church. What are we to be? There are over 32 one another statements in Scripture. Be hospitable to one another, care for one another, help one another, uh, encourage one another, serve one another, admonish one another, speak truth and love to one another, and over and over. And those are specifics as to how we are to live out the unity. What we have in this passage is more generalities, big picture items. And we see them in verse Verse 2 of chapter 2, where Paul says, Complete my joy by having the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. So we're going to look at three general ways that we are to be one before God. We are to have the same mind. Now when we first hear that, it sounds like God's wanting to take away our individuality and make us all think the same like you might uh, robots. But we know that's not the church of Jesus Christ. The church is one body, but made up of many different individuals who have different gifts, different insights, different personalities. God actually makes a unity out of diversity. He's not trying to take that, our individuality away from us. In fact, the word here for mind isn't about the intellect thinking the same way, having the exact same thoughts. It includes intellect, but it also talks about our emotion and our disposition. What really moves us in life? And what he's saying is we have one mind about Christ because we're what? Many members make up one body. The head is Jesus Christ. So we can have different functions, but when we all look to Christ as the head, that's the unity we're to have. Now this is displayed in Romans chapter 14. When Paul is addressing the issue of should people eat meat that may have been sacrifice to idols. And you had a division within the church and each thinking, I've got the right way. And so Paul enters into that division and he says this, 
the one who observes the day, the one, observes it in the honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. This is the one mind Paul is talking about. We can have different perspectives on various issues, but the thing that unites us is our passion for Jesus Christ. It is to live for Christ. It is to follow Christ. When we choose elders in this church, we will not choose somebody who has his own personal agenda. We choose men who have a passion for Christ, who want to know what Jesus Christ wants. And we come together, and one of the things we've said many times is we want to come into a unity Not that we don't have disagreements, but we come together where we believe ultimately the Holy Spirit has spoken as we've listened to each other, occasionally looked at the Word, prayed. But that's our passion, is what would the Holy Spirit do in bringing us united about what God would have us to do? We are in a process of refocusing our vision and seeing how that vision impacts the church. We're going to come together in large groups and have conversations. We're going to have uh, special committees, teams, that look at different aspects of the ministry. It is critical that we be of one mind, that we not come with our personal agendas, but we're listening to each other, trying to discern what Jesus Christ would have for us. That's what it means be one mind. We are also to be of the same love. Now, this could be a reference to loving everybody in the same way. James talks about that. Do not give honor to a person because he's rich or wealthy and put aside a person who doesn't have much money. We are to love each other equally. We're not to be impressed as, as we might naturally be because each person is made in the image of God. Each person has been touched by Jesus Christ. Each person is a part of us in the body of Christ. But I think the uh, passage really is speaking about this is the same love we are to have for one another, the same as God has for us. In John 17 Jesus is praying and he says, the glory that you have given me, Father, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. So I and them and you and me, they may become perfectly one so the world would know that you sent me and love them as you love me. You see, Christ's passion is that we be one just like God the Father and Jesus Christ are one. If we grasp God's picture of the church as a picture of the Trinity, that should change the way 
we enter into the church on any Sunday morning. See, in Scripture, there are three oneness relationships. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are one. Husband and wife are one. And the church, many members, one body. We are to be loving, honoring, considering one another, championing one another, just as the Father does the Son and the Son does the Father, so we are to have that kind of relationship with each other. Same love that God has for us. And I believe that's what's playing out in this passage as he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this attitude in you that is in Christ Jesus. What's he saying? He's saying, look at Jesus Christ. Look at the love of Christ. Look at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you. That is the same kind of love we are to have for each other. And there, there's two stumbling blocks that we naturally have within us. One is we're glory seekers. The other is we're selfish. And what I mean by glory seekers is that we, we want to feel important. I remember in college, uh, so I was studying psychology and reading Alfred Adler. I, I, was, I was really disturbed by the fact that he had this idea that each of us wants to be more important than one another. And as a non-Christian, I was like, oh, that, that's like, you're saying that we're, we're like prideful and arrogant and we're thinking about ourselves first. That, that isn't the way it is. Until I really looked at my own heart and said, oh, that's the way I am. Why wouldn't I think others are like me? We, we battle that in our sin nature. And what he's saying here is do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. What he's meaning there is we, we want this glory that really doesn't belong to us. We want to look more important than we, we actually are. We want people to be more impressed with us than we are impressive. And contrast that to Jesus Christ and what this passage says about him, where it says, he emptied himself. Now, what he's speaking of there is he emptied himself of his glory that he had as the Son of God, as God himself. To enter into humanity, he took off those regal robes of glory and set them aside and humbled himself. In contrast, we try to steal the robes of glory and put them on when we don't deserve them. But the call here is when our love is the same as God's, as the same as Christ is for us. That's what we're to have. Do nothing out of selfishness. Yes. Who do we think of? We think of ourselves first. But here it's saying, switch that around. When you come into church, when you, when you live life, think of others as more significant. Think of others and their needs before we think of our own needs. That's Christ's call on us. That's 
the way Christ lived for us. He gave his very life for us. That's what we're to do for each other. That's the kind of love God's called us to. We are to be of the same mind, same love. And we're to be of full accord. Literally, what the ESV translates as full accord is we are to be one soul together. The word here is literally, takes the word together, soon, together. It's the word we have in symphony, phony, sound, sin, together. We have a symphony when we have all these various sounds, but what comes together, it comes out of the as one. And it's sun suke which is soul or life. And he's saying, the church is to be one life together, one soul together. We're different, but our coming together sings a symphony to the glory of God. Husband and wife are to be two Together, one life. They become one flesh, Scripture tells us. One life together. And Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 5. In each way, husbands should love wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Husband and wife, one body. Therefore, we treat each other, think of each other as we would think of ourselves. We champion one another. We look out for the interests of one another. We serve one another. The body of Christ is not one flesh. It's one soul that we've come together. That's what Christ has called us to be. And then he adds an addendum here with and of one mind. Now it's the same word that appears at the beginning of verse 2. Remember mind, we are to have really the mind of Christ about life. That's how we come together with one mind. Now it says we as a church as we have one soul, we are also to have the one mind. And I think this is speaking now in a more practical sense. If we are one life together, then we move together. This has big implications for what we're about to do in the church with our refocusing. Is we are called to be one life moving together. So as we make decisions, specific decisions, there will be disagreements. There will be some choices that you may not like that I may not like. We may drop a ministry that we think we should be keeping. We may add a ministry that we don't see the value of. The question is, 
it's not about us individually. We are a part of one another. And if the church so chooses to move in this direction, following Christ as head, then our response should never be, well, I'm going to leave the church because of that. Or, well, I'm just going to withdraw myself and not, not participate in that or, or uh, other parts of the church now. Or talk to others to try to create discontent so uh, a different decision might be made. That's not moving together as one. We are to be of one soul moving together as one. So this is an incredibly high calling uh, that God has for the church. And hopefully you feel you are sitting there and going, wow, this is what the church is? So the question is, where's that power come from? What's the motivation? What's going to work in our lives to make this happen? And that's what's described in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then make my joy complete by being these three things. Um, Do you see the if clause here, the conditional clause? When we read that, we might think that there's an uncertainty about it, where he's saying, you know, if there's any encouragement in Christ, you know, I don't know if you've got it, but, you know, if you got it, Now, in the Greek, there's two types of conditional clauses. One is about uncertainty. The other speaks of a certainty. Essentially, it's saying this. If this and this is true, then this is the way to live. So he's really saying, since, since there is encouragement in Christ, Since there is comfort and love, since there is participation in the Holy Spirit, since there is affection and sympathy, then this will become a reality. This should be the reality in our lives, that we live as one. So these three things are God's working to make us the church, the wisdom of God to the world. First, if there's any encouragement, and there is, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and this should resonate with all of us, yes, there's tremendous encouragement in Jesus Christ. I mean, after all, he saved me. His death took my sin, took my guilt, removed it as far as the east is from the west. He gave me new life. He gave me a relationship with God. He he renewed my relationship with my authentic self. He breaks down barriers with other people. There's incredible encouragement in Jesus Christ. But specifically, how does that change me toward other people? How does that bring me into the Christian life to live it more vitally and fully? Tim Keller gives us a a description of how. When the gospel comes home, then believers no longer have to maintain their image as competent and righteous. The gospel naturally breaks down barriers that impede relationships and leads them to more authentic experiences of community with others. Pretense and evasion are unnecessary. The gospel also creates a humility that makes believers 
empathetic and patient with one another. All of this enables relationships within the church to thicken and deepen. During times of revival, the distinct countercultural nature of the church becomes attractive to others. Okay. What's he saying? He's saying the gospel can transforms our hearts because we are fulfilled in the gospel. So for instance, if I find my complete acceptance in the, the fact that God accepts me as I am, with a view to changing, but he accepts me completely and fully, then I don't have to put on airs. I don't have to present to you somebody who I'm not to get your acceptance. I can be me. If I find my identity in Christ, I don't need to find my identity in certain ministries within the church. that They have to be mine because that's what makes me important. I don't need to feel important among people because I know how important I am to God. If I find my forgiveness in Jesus Christ to be full and total, then I can accept the admonitions of Christ. Even knowing I'm going to fail, I, I can say, okay, these are true. This is what Christ called me to do. This is what he's called me to be in the church. And I can accept your critiques of me. Because God forgives me. If I find my joy in Jesus Christ, I don't need to have specific ministries I'm involved in. I don't need to be with certain people that maybe I'd like to be with because that isn't what brings me my ultimate joy. Christ himself brings me my ultimate joy. And if I find my fulfillment in Jesus Christ, that I don't need to have everything work the way I want it to work. I can be free to let God work and others work because my fulfillment is in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so when we get in touch with all that the gospel does and it works in our hearts, it is what frees us to be who God's called us to be with one another. So if I find in me something that's out of sync with what God wants me to be in the church, I need to go back to the gospel to get from Christ what I'm seeking to fulfill in the ministry, the person, uh, whatever it is that's making me selfish at that time. That I think that's going to fulfill me. I need to go back and get my fulfillment in Christ. I need to get my joy in Christ. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, well, your lives can be transformed. If there's any comfort from love, and uh, most commentators see this as comfort of love from the Father, because you'll see the Holy Spirit in this passage. Encouragement from Christ, comfort from love of the Father, and participation or fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying is if there's any love, if you're in touch with the love of God, how much he loves you, you will begin to be transformed. I go back to the John 17 passage at the end of it. 
John, Jesus prayed, and he said, I pray that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and that the world would know you loved them as you loved me. Did you hear that? Jesus says, God the Father loves us like he loves God the Son. Have you ever questioned God's love? Have you ever diminished God's love? I think we all have. That's why uh, Paul ends Ephesians chapter 3 with, I pray that they might know the incomprehensible love of God because that's what's so life-transforming. We need to bathe ourselves in that love of God. God demonstrates his love toward us while we're yet sinners. Christ died for us. He sent not himself, but he sent one he loved more than himself, Jesus Christ. Why? Because he loves us more than himself. Jesus Christ loved us more than himself. That's why he died. That's why he took the punishment of God. That's why he was separated from the Father because that's how much he loves us. We, we, we're scratching the surface in his love. We need to grow deeper and deeper because that's what transforms the heart. Uh, Brennan Manning describes it. To me, it's more important to be loved than to love. When I have not had the experience of being loved by God, just as I am, not as I should be, then loving others becomes a duty, a responsibility, a chore. But if I let myself be loved as I am with the love of God poured into my heart by the Holy Spirit, then I can reach out to others in a more effortless way. What he's saying is we can say, I'm going to love one another whether I feel like it or not because it's my duty. That's not the love God wants. He wants a love in our hearts. But that love comes when we get filled with God's love. It melts our hearts and it moves us towards other people. First John, we love because, anybody fill that out? We love because he first loved us. That's where it starts. We need to grasp the love of God. If there's comfort in his love, we're going to overflow. If we're not overflowing, we're not understanding the comfort of God's love. And then third, if there's any participation in the spirit, the word here is koinonia, that some of you know is fellowship in the Holy Spirit. So there's a work of the Holy Spirit. If that's happening in the church, we're going to have we're going to have unity because the Holy Spirit is about unity. The Holy Spirit comes into us and he whispers, "Abba, Father." He tells us we have a relationship with God as though he's our dad. So intimate. The Holy Spirit makes that relationship so intimate. He says, Abba, Daddy. The Holy Spirit says, Brother, Sister as well. That's what he's crying out in our hearts. If the Spirit is working in our hearts, we will naturally feel toward one another. There's a story about a man who wanted to become a member of a church. In that church, one of the requirements for membership is that you have had to have some kind of tangible, supernatural experience with God. 
in order to be entered into the church. And, and this man, he just, he's very, very ordinary. He, he had nothing, and he thought about it and thought about it, and he finally came before the, the elders. And he said, I have a supernatural work in my life. I love the brothers and sisters in the church. And then he quoted 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Because that's what the Spirit does. If we don't have that love, the Spirit's not working. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Notice, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's going to be in our lives if we're connected to the Spirit. And then notice, Qualities that help us with loving one another as we are. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. All qualities that are part of loving relationships. Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, he says, maintain the unity of the Spirit. Notice, he doesn't say create unity. Work hard at creating unity in the church. He says, no, unity is going to be there if the Holy Spirit's there. What you have to do is just let it happen. If there is not unity, we're not following the Holy Spirit. We are stopping the natural work of the Holy Spirit. If we are in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, we will be in fellowship with God. If we are not, it's a spiritual problem in our lives. And then he adds at the end here, if there's any sympathy or affection, if any, and here he's talking about relationships among one another. And I believe specifically he's talking about what they feel toward Paul. Because he goes on, it says, if there's any affection and sympathy, make my joy complete. And he's saying, you know, the Spirit of God has worked a connection between us. I feel for you, I will give my life for you, and I know you feel for me. And that moves us. Newt Rockney was a... Uh, famous coach of Notre Dame football and there was a movie made about him in the 40s or so and one of the scenes in that movie was a man uh, named George Gipp and Newt comes to visit him at his hospital bed. He's dying and he tells Newt, his coach, he says, you know, when you're in a tough spot in a game, gather the team together and tell him, win one for the Gipper. And of course, Newt Rockney does that. The game turns around and they win. What it shows is our love for one another can motivate us to live even for others. When we see people committed to Christ, committed to one another, touching our hearts, touching our lives, God uses that to move us forward to become the church of Jesus Christ. When we come to church, who are we thinking about?
first and foremost. I know very often it's me and what I have to accomplish and do. It's not always you. Very regularly, my wife would pray going to church, Lord, show me somebody you'd like me to touch. That's the attitude I have to have. Alex Dorna, not here today. He's a person who thinks of everyone else before he thinks of himself. He may have come up to you and said, what can I pray for? That's what he comes with, the attitude. Who can I pray for today? And I know there's others of you who are thinking that way. What God's called us to, for all of us to think that way. We all want love and unity to rule. Only love can save this world. And it's really love that has to come through us. But we love because he first loved us. We can move more and more toward that picture of the church of Jesus Christ that he has given us in this passage if, if we find encouragement of Christ in Christ, we will be of one mind with Christ. We'll have his mind. If we are comforted by the love of God, we will have that same love in the lives of others. And if we are fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit, we will become one soul together, moving together for the glory of God. It is possible because all things are possible with God. Our Father, we thank you for your clear picture that you give us just in a couple verses about what we're to be as a church. We thank you for what you've said to us today. But we pray, beginning with me, that these would be life-transforming words that would change us and who we are as a body of Christ. Thank you for where you've brought us on our journey as a church with Christ. Continue to move us forward to become a manifestation of the wisdom of God through seeing the, showing the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.